You are listening to a sermon from Restoration Church, a gospel-centered, biblically-saturated church located in Noblesville, Indiana. To learn more, visit us online at restoration.community. Most of you know me by now. My name is Brad. Uh, I am uh, associate pastor of worship and discipleship here at Restoration Church. My wife, Caitlin, and I have been here since about January. Uh, we feel like we've been here forever, and yet I also feel like we haven't been here very much just because of pandemic come happening and so it is great while matt is spending some time um, on sabbatical to allow our elders to guide and lead us through the book of malachi and so it's an honor to be with you guys this morning i appreciate it before we begin if you have a bible um, whether you have a paper bible or a digital bible on your phone pull that out and open up to malachi chapter 2 malachi chapter 2 if you're still not sure where malachi is it is the last book of the old testament right there behind your page break for the Old and New Testament. So, Malachi chapter 2. And before we begin and kind of break up Malachi, uh, I just want to read it. I want to read the word in its entirety, this message, um, continuing from last week, what Justin taught us. So, I'll read this out loud. You read along with me in your book, and we'll begin. Malachi chapter 2. Therefore, this decree is for you, priests, If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them, because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I am going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people, because you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in your instruction. Don't all of us have one Father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has acted treacherously, and detestable acts have been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. There is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. Pray with me as we begin. Father, we have read your word, the very word of God to the people of God. And God, as we read 
Malachi's account of, of you calling your people to repentance, to come a, become aware of the ways that we have fallen away from our duties to you and our love for you as Father and King. God, break us, I pray. Break us for our sinfulness and remind us of the goodness that is found in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for your word that we have a light to our path, that we may know your will. Be with us as we dig into your word this morning. Amen. Amen. So, Malachi 2, we open up uh, really with a continuation of last week. So, to kind of do church with manners, as we call it, we want to give you an idea of where we've been, if you weren't with us last week, and where we're going today. So last week, Justin Kaufman, who's an elder candidate here at Restoration, opened up the book of Malachi for us and gave us just this picturesque view and understanding of what it was like to be hearing these indictments, these convictions from Malachi's word, um, from the Lord, in that ancient Near Eastern culture. Uh, Malachi is a book that's filled with covenantal language, of language that the Hebrews of that time, the Israelites, would have understand very, understood very clearly. We read it. And often come at it and think, this is all kind of weird. It's kind of strange that God would be saying these things. Words like dung and feces are popping up in a couple places. And when we come to the Old Testament, we can easily think, this is just kind of a strange book that doesn't really apply to my life today. But once you gain a contextualized understanding and start to read it with the eyes of a first century or an ancient Near East historical viewpoint of the people who would have originally read this book, you start to say, oh, this is an incredible message from the Lord that applies to my life today, just as it did hundreds, if not thousands of years prior. And so if you didn't have a chance to listen, or you were not here last week, or you were serving downstairs with our kids, go back to our YouTube channel, our Facebook Live channel, and watch Justin's opening of Malachi chapter 1. In essence, Justin opened up the idea that Malachi is a covenantal lawsuit. So it's like this between God and Israel, an episode of Law and Order, where there's a courtroom scene and God has placed Israel in the defendant booth and God is prosecutor, judge, and jury. And through Malachi's words, God tells the Israelites, listen, what you are doing is not right. In fact, we had a good thing going. We had... A covenant. We had a reeve. We had this thing that basically kept you and I together. And you, time and time and time again, have broken it and broken it and broken it. And the Lord is coming to Israel at the end of this, of this whole history of Israel being carried by God. And God is saying, this is what will happen if you continue to live and act this way. Because you are breaking the covenant with me. And so as we go into chapter one, we start to see all of these questions back and forth between um, how have you loved us? God says, I have loved you this way. How have you cared for us? I've cared for you this way. You see this back and forth conversation start to unfold. And then in chapter two, it really becomes God talking the most. And God says, okay, now that we've broken open the conversation about this covenantal breakage, Now we can start discussing what's going on here. So today we're going to start looking at the Lord's response to Israel. And really, I think within that, the Lord's response to us. 
And where the Israelites would have heard and listened to these words from Malachi chapter 2 and would have been horrified and hopeless, we have hope because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So, to start off together, there we go. So what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to break down Malachi 2 together. We're going to walk through it and we're going to take a look at a couple elements that I think kind of bring this chapter to life. So the very first thing we read here is the word therefore. So here's a bonus nugget for you. If you want to grow in your biblical literacy and biblical understanding and personal Bible study, one of the best tricks I was ever taught is anytime you're reading the Bible and you come across the word therefore, ask yourself, what is it there for? It's pretty fun, right? And kind of silly, but it's actually really a great way to study scripture because if you just opened up your Bible and landed in Malachi 2 and read therefore, you'd think, so what? You ask yourself, what is it therefore? Therefore, this decree is for you, priests. The Lord is saying, based off of what we just covered in chapter 1, this is what I now say. This decree is for you, priests. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send the curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them, because you are not taking it to heart. The Lord turns his conversation from Israel as a whole, and then hones in to priests. And if you're understanding, if you know anything about the priests of the Old Testament, the priests were um, really the, the people that the Lord had set apart from the tribes to be in charge of the temple... ...to be in charge of bringing and handling sacrifices... ...and to be the go-between between God and his people. So the priests acted as judges and kind of temple professionals in this way. And the Lord is, is honing in on the priests for a very specific reason... ...because as we will see, the priests were kind of the leadership of Israel... ...in the sense that they, they set the tone for how the people would respond and act in their everyday life. The priests laid down the law and said, this is what it is to be a follower of Yahweh God. This is what it looks like to be a believer in God the Father, the King of armies, the Lord of armies. And they're not doing their job. And so the Lord says, therefore, this is the decree. I will send the curse among you, priests. And what's interesting is, this isn't just a, sing a single curse, you know. You may have read and thought, oh, it's just, I'm, I'm going to send a curse. Who knows what that curse will be? But in the Hebrew, if you read it closely, it says the curse. There's a definite article in the Hebrew that gives a, spe a specific specificity to what the curse is. And this is where it helps, as we just studied this summer, to understand biblical framework, to understand biblical narrative. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, specifically chapter 28, when the Lord institutes the priesthood, and he institutes how God's people are to respond to him, he said, basically, here is my covenant with you. Here is my covenant with my people. If you do this, these blessings will come. You'll enjoy the land. Your work will be fruitful. Your children will be fruitful. You will have peace. You will have happiness. You will have purpose. You will have joy. And most of all, you will have me as Lord and God. And I will commune and live with you. 
if you do not do these things, if you do not obey and follow me in holiness and righteousness, the curse will come upon you. And the curse we see play itself out throughout the Old Testament as the Israelites time and time again walk away from God. He curses their land. He casts them out as exiles. He sends plague among them. These things that are ultimately the outpouring of sinful actions and sinful decisions and walking away from God. Ultimately, God telling the priests, telling the Israelites, listen, if you do not want to follow me, this is what I will give you. The curse will be that I will not be with you. And when God is not with you, everything falls apart. The wheels come off fast when God is not with you. And that is what the Israelite priests are facing. This is what God is telling his chosen priests. This curse is coming upon you. And then the Lord goes in a little bit more detail as to what this curse will look like. He says, look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants and I will spread animal waste over your faces. The waste from your festival sacrifices and you will be taken away with it. The Lord looks at the priests and says, I will send the curse. And here's what the curse is going to be. It's not just going to affect you, but it'll affect your descendants, and them after them, and them after them. And then he gives a very descriptive, extremely descriptive punishment. I will spread animal waste over your faces. If, depending on your uh, your translation it may say feces it may say dung and when we read that in our context we think that's kind of strange that's a weird thing it's a mean thing for god to do it seems a little bit rash but again when we understand the priesthood and what their responsibilities were we get a little bit closer understanding the priests when someone you and i would come and go to the temple to ask for forgiveness of something we had done we would bring our sacrifice of a of a goat or a dove or, you know, choose your animal, we would come to the priest and the priest would then take our sacrifice and go through the ritualistic method of breaking it and cutting it open and removing the entrails and all these gross, nasty things because the sacrifice had to be made holy. And the spreading of blood through the sacrificial system washed away the sins of God's people. And part of that system of sacrifice was removing the intestines and the, the dung and the feces and anything that would have been unclean from the sacrifice. And the priests would take that dung and they would ceremoniously take it out of the camp and burn it, symbolizing that you have been made clean. Dan led us through this this morning. We have been restored and made clean. The dung, the feces of our sin the festival, sacrifice, sacrificial animal waste has been removed. We are clean. The Lord looks at the priests and says, you once were in charge of carrying the animal waste out of the temple and out of the city and making yourself and the people clean. I am going to spread that animal waste on your faces because that is what it's like when you do not worship me in truth. And righteousness. It's like you're the most unclean thing in the temple. 
in essence, the Lord is telling the priests, don't rest on your laurels. Don't rest on your position that just because you're a priest, you can show up and hand me these terrible sacrifices and it's all good. The Lord knows. He knows. So we see the seriousness of the Lord's rebuke in both the descendants and the waste. That he is taking this incredibly seriously. God's relationship with his people is so important to him that he will put a stop to anything that gets in the way. But then we see this hook at the very end of this verse. I put it in blue. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue. If there's anything you take, guys, from this sermon or this series this this month, take this. The Lord is incredibly serious about his holiness. And he's incredibly serious about who he is and what he is worthy of. But he always makes a way for us to be restored to him. The Lord actively steps in. He doesn't leave the priests in their dung. He doesn't leave the people with these terrible leaders. He is cleansing his temple. He's clearing out his temple to make way for holiness. To make way that the covenant he made with Levi, the first priest before God, may continue. The Lord makes a way. So we ask ourselves, if the Lord's going to continue his covenant with Levi. What is the covenant with Levi? What is that covenant? The Lord tells us, he reminds them, my covenant with him, Levi, was one of life and peace. And I gave these to him. It called for reverence. And he revered me. And he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. And nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. The tribe of Levi, if you remember from our study of Exodus last year, the tribe of Levi was the one tribe of the twelve that when the Israelites went into the promised land and they, had, they allotted the, the people uh, land, the Lord said, don't give Levi any land. Because Levi's inheritance is not physical property. It's me. The Levites will be my They will stand before me. The closest that any Israelite can be to God's presence is the Levites. This is my covenant. That they they will know life and peace. They will revere me. They will stand in awe of my name. They will worship me. True instruction will be in their mouth. And they will turn people from iniquity. It continues and says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge... And people should desire instruction from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. So we see that Levi, the tribe of Levi, which continues descendant after descendant after descendant from the moment they went into the promised land and built the temple to Malachi, a royal priesthood before God. And the Lord sets up his covenant with Levi that that the Levites will have life and peace. They will fear him. They will stand in awe of God for who he is. They will have wisdom, instruction. God's very words will be on the mouths of the Levites. And they will give that instruction to Israel. 
And then they will turn people from their iniquity. They will turn people from their sins. That is salvation. Restoration. Redemption. This is what the priests should be known for. And in Malachi's time, the priests are blowing it. They're ruining it. They're going against everything the covenant that God laid with them stood for. He continues on, he says, You, priests, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people, because you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in your instruction. Can you imagine the Lord... God, the creator of the universe, the Lord of armies, the king of all kings, coming to the priests who are standing in the temple thinking, we've got it pretty good. The Lord's on our side. No matter what happens, we're good, we're covered, it's all good. And the Lord comes to them in this moment of wrath and he says, you have turned from me. You have turned from our covenant. You have caused many to stumble By your instruction, you have violated the covenant of Levi. In essence, the Lord grabs the priest by the collar and says, I know what you're doing. I know what you have done. And God says, not only have you broken the covenant with me, but you are leading my people astray. You are leading my people into sin. And therefore, the cleaning starts today we are going to clean this place out and bring real true worship back and we start to see how the priests terrible leadership has begun to infect the entire people of israel in the second part of malachi 2 in malachi 2 chapter starting with verse 10 the, the perspective turns from, Mal- from God's words and quotations to Malachi writing again. The narrator turns back to Malachi. And Malachi says, don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? In a sense, Malachi is delivering this word of God to the priest and he's saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Do you not see how everyone around us is falling into sin, turning from God, hating their brother and sister, ruining their families? Priests, you are supposed to lead. What are you doing? Don't all of us have one father? Aren't we all one family? Shouldn't we be doing and acting out of love for one another? Shouldn't we be giving peace and wisdom so that our brothers and sisters can live Malachi you can almost hear him screaming at the priest to say get it together or this is going to come this sinfulness is going to come and in a in a way the priests are probably looking at Levi and saying what are you talking about what do you know give us one example of how Our failure to lead has led to anything bad happening. And then uh, Malachi turns around and says, I'll give you two. Let me give you two examples 
of how this is blowing up in front of you. Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. The first thing that the people of Israel have begun to do, because of the priest's terrible leadership, is wander off and find wives from foreign gods and foreign nations and marrying into their families. And to understand this concept, you really have to get a, get a good grasp of why God set Israel apart as his people. And part of that setting apart of Israel was he said, you will be tempted when you move into these areas of the world to marry into these families of people who worship false gods, who do not know me. Who will cause you to do acts so detestable that you will wake up one day and wonder, how did I ever get here? And the priests were the ones who stood in the gap and led the people of Israel to say, do not marry those women. Do not marry those people. Do not follow those gods. They are fake. Instead, remain true and faithful to God. The second thing, Malachi says, is this is another thing you do. Number two, you are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. Priests, you are giving your sacrifices, but you know God is not listening. You know when you lay that on the altar, nothing is happening. You know this. And why? You ask why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of the spirit? What is the one seeking godly offspring? So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. It would be easy to read this portion and think that God's just coming down on them because of divorce. But it's much, much deeper than that. The entirety of the scripture, we see marriage as an image of God's covenant with humanity. That this deep, intimate relationship of marriage is a shadow image of God's love and compassion and faith and trust and integrity with his people. And God is coming to the, to the Levites and he's coming to the priests and he's coming to Israel and he's saying, you are marrying other women, other men of foreign gods and leaving me out of it. And if you are married to somebody in Israel, you're throwing your wife or husband away because it's not worth it. It's too much work. And worshiping God isn't worth it anymore. Malachi is saying, you have missed and forgotten the point of marriage, of faithfulness, of integrity to a covenant with your God. I loved it. I was in small group, our restoration group on Tuesday night that we lead with Morgan and Dan Zeller. And Morgan said, we were studying Malachi 2 in preparation for this weekend. She said, she said 
what we're seeing here in this moment is Israel manifesting, physically manifesting in their actions and behaviors what happens when we break our covenant with God. When we walk away from God, when we leave him behind, it begins to manifest in these decisions, in this faithlessness. And I was like, that was such a good picture of a physical symptom manifesting from the spiritual decay of the priests. And that is why the Lord says, if he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. If he hates and divorces his wife, the Lord's saying, if you hate and divorce your wife, you hate and divorce me in that sense, because you are hating the covenant giver. Now this is to say, I, listen, listen very closely, I am not saying oh, to divorce is unforgivable sin because of this verse. The Lord is saying the covenant that I've made with Levi and the people is just like the covenant you make with a spouse. And if you would so easily, so easily throw that aside, what do you do with me? How do you respond to me? This is the picture we see. But God. Therefore. Watch yourselves carefully. And do not act treacherous. What's it there for? God is saying to us. Because of the ways that you have been acting. Therefore watch yourselves carefully. Return to me. Do not act treacherously I know what is happening so we ask ourselves so what so we read we back up a little bit we read this this passage from Malachi and we ask ourselves so what what does this have to do with me in my world today how do I connect the word of God from Malachi to Brad Bartlett's life in 2020. Ultimately, what we see is evidence that the people of Israel, time and time and time and time again, prove utterly incapable and helpless to do anything. It reminds me of yesterday. I was out at the White River uh, with the Restoration Men's float trip. And uh, me and me and Rob, brother Rob, uh, decided instead of using a kayak, which you can self-propel down the river, you actually just use a float. And I thought, because I've never been on the White River uh, ever, I thought just get a get a little flotation device that you can just jump in a tube and just let it carry you down the river. I discovered in about 20 minutes that the river moves about a centimeter an hour, and without someone else to carry you through with a kayak or a canoe or something, you're just going to sit in the middle of the river forever. You're not going to go anywhere. And that's the position I found myself in yesterday. I was sitting on this inner tube going nowhere. And so I had to call out to, to Andy and to Sean, and I said, guys, we have a rope. Can I tie my rope to your canoe? And you pull us down the river. And thankfully, because we have a group of men in this church who are loving and caring and uh, 
have such a strong sense of brotherhood, instead of enjoying their morning on the water, they chose to drag me down the river on inner tube. That picture, it just struck me how hopeless we are in the midst of our sin. We are incapable of choosing God in the right ways that he demands because of his character. Israel shows us they just can't do it. And it starts at the top with the priests and they lead terribly. The people follow terribly. They choose everything other than God's love and commands. And we're no different, are we not? How often are we tempted to choose the easy way out? The things we'd rather have? The daughters of foreign gods? We choose to worship television or worship our technology or worship our hobbies or worship our work, worship our children, worship our wives, worship our husbands. Anything except giving ourselves in devotion first to God, the Lord of armies. And in our relationship, if it gets a little bit hard, we just toss it aside. Too hard, too much, too, too much work. But we see, just like we see here, that God is always offering a way forward. God's love for us, we have a great high priest. We have a priest who acted in the opposite way of the Israelite priests. We have a priest whose life shone the covenant in full display of peace and life and wisdom and guidance. And that priest, hint, hint, is Jesus Christ. We read in the book of Romans this incredible, incredible chapter in chapter 5 that says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. While we were still helpless, while we were still unable to keep our covenant with God, while we were ungodly, covering our faces in feces and animal waste, providing terrible sacrifices, even still God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died and became the true and final sacrifice to restore and redeem his people forever. If that doesn't lead you to worship, if that doesn't lead you to cry out with thankfulness, nothing will. This is the good news. This is the gospel we preach. That the covenant is made new. It continues, how much more than since we have been justified by his blood will we be saved by his wrath? For if while we were still enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son... How much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? This is priestly language. 
This is sacrificial language. This is God saying, because you could not do it yourself, I am doing it for you. Not just once. This isn't just one time that you have to go back and do over and over again. It's done forever. Your faith is in Christ as Lord and King and Savior. The sacrifice for your sinfulness and your failures and your helplessness is covered forever. Forever. We are saved by his life. That's such good news. Such good news. We boast in God through whom we have now received this reconciliation. But God proved his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. When Jesus broke the bread and gave out the wine that we celebrate in communion, he said that this is my blood, the new covenant, the better covenant, the true covenant keeper that Levi could never be, that Malachi has shown the priests could never be. Jesus says, I give you this new covenant in my blood that I'm keeping on your behalf. When you drink this, when you eat this, think of me and my covenant that's being kept for you in every moment of every day. And because of that covenant being made, we are introduced into God's kingdom as a royal priesthood. We have replaced, according to 2 Peter, we have replaced Levi and the tribe of Levi as the priests of God's kingdom. We are the royal priesthood, a holy nation chosen for his possession that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. No more does God say, priests, Levites, you are chosen, and here's what you have to do to keep the covenant. Jesus says, brothers and sisters who follow me, you are my priests, and guess what? I'm keeping the covenant for you. I'm keeping the covenant for you. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Because it's done in my blood. Therefore, you do not have to keep that going. You do not have to face the wrath of God. You do not have to come up against your failures. It's done in my name. And you get to, to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of being the royal priesthood. Church, you are a royal priesthood. Like the Levites... In Malachi, what they were supposed to do, we get to take part in. Each one of you listening, if you are a follower of Jesus today, you are part of this priesthood. And with that, here's your job description. In the new covenant, you have life and peace in Jesus' name. In this new covenant, you can fear God in knowing him, in awe of him. You can come before his throne and worship him. In the new covenant, you have wisdom. The word of God in the Bible given to us as scripture. New covenant of salvation. We take part in God's mission to redeem and restore his people from their iniquity. Every single one of us has the privilege and the opportunity to tell a world gone astray from their creator. There is hope, there is freedom, 
there is purpose. You have salvation at hand. And his name is Jesus Christ. So Restoration Church, we are part of a royal priesthood. We've read it in Malachi. What the priests were supposed to be doing that they were failing with. Jesus, God in the flesh, steps in and handles it on our behalf for us. And gives us a commission that we respond in love and worship and wisdom and evangelism. How will you respond to that? How are you going to respond to that today? My hope, my prayer, and the prayer of the pastors of this church is that you would be confident in who you are before Jesus, that you don't have to be perfect to know him, that he's perfect for you. But that also you would take the message of salvation to the world because how great is it to know you are saved? How great is it to know that they are as well? And there are people around this city, in this community, that need to hear the message of life, peace, fear, wisdom, and salvation. And that is what we get to take part in. And God is using us if we are willing to let him use us. So we have a big task ahead of us. But no matter what, we're covered in his blood. We are clean, we are perfect, we can worship the Father. Let's pray together and we will respond in worship together. Father, we come before you to admit and confess that, Lord, we have not acted as we should. Yet, for those of us who are in Christ, we know salvation, we know that the blood of Jesus has covered us, that we know that we no longer have to add up or live up or meet these expectations that are impossible for us to meet. God, your wrath is not directed at us, it's directed at the Son, and then he forgives. He forgives. The Lord forgives our iniquities. Hallelujah. Praise you, God, for all that you do and that you do not leave us in the midst of our terrible situation, but you step in and you get your hands dirty with us, that you cleanse your people, that you cleanse your leaders, that you guide your church, that you remind us of your holiness and the mission before us to take the gospel to Noblesville. May we be faithful, God, to do that. Most of all, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus and for what he has done on our behalf. Thank you for a high priest who covers us every moment of every day. And I pray that if there is someone in this room or listening online who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would place their faith and their hope and their trust in him today, asking for the Lord to forgive them for Jesus to become their Lord and Savior. And it's finished. Lord, let us respond to you now in reverence and awe. And may we lead and guide our people and lead and guide our friends and family and community well. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus.
Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Restoration Church. To learn more, visit us online at restoration.community. If you're in the Noblesville area, join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for worship.